Hello, I'm Alex Horton, podcast producer here at BuildWit. Aaron and I have recorded over 250 podcast episodes together over the last few years, spread between Dirt Talk and our weekly internal podcast for our team. We've also had almost 100 guests tell their stories on Dirt Talk, stories of grit, failure, and redemption. And one of our core beliefs at BuildWit is to tell stories and to do it honestly and with integrity. A few months ago, Aaron approached me saying that he'd received some messages wondering what exactly his story was, how he found a love for construction, what drew him to begin a career in the dirt world, and how it led to him starting a business. So we sat down one day in October, we hit record, and I just let Aaron go for about 90 minutes. Immediately after we wrapped, I knew this wasn't just his story, but our story as well. So I started getting interviews with a few other BuildWit folks, Dan Briscoe, Chell Gerber, and I filmed Dirt himself, Mr. Angel Torres, among others. And as I began collecting these stories, the fascinating web that brought us all together came into sharp focus. So, over the next few weeks, we're sharing a short series of podcasts where Aaron brings you his story and, in turn, the story of how BuildWit came to be. This is Building BuildWit. Yes, so this is a timeline of events for myself, Aaron Witt, and BuildWit, all in one, since my identity is essentially the company. I am BuildWit. Just, just cut there. Okay, so my story starts in 1995 when I was born. As a small child, I loved the trash man. Here's Aaron and his mom, Carolyn, on Dirt Talk a few months ago. When you were two years old, running down the driveway every Thursday morning, you Mm -hmm. had to see Leroy the trash man. That was probably the start of the start. Leroy was your, your star. And I always dug in the backyard. All over the place. My parents said, Here's the hose, here are some trucks, here is some dirt. Have at it, Bubba. And I would entertain myself in the backyard digging in dirt. The thing was, I was not raised in the construction industry. That was the only exposure to earth moving I had until I was an adult. And I joined the construction industry because my dad was a tax lawyer. So my mom stayed at home, raised the children. My dad retired as director at uh, a national director at Deloitte, tax lawyer by trade. Very, very, very white collar. You could not get more white collar unless you're like a tenured professor at some stupid university. I had my sixth birthday party at the Caterpillar dealer. Funny enough, my dad was doing tax work for someone within the dealer, Empire Cat. They had me to their Mesa location, which is sweet. That was, you were so excited. It was crazy. It was crazy. And even the boys that you went with, I mean, they were established young boys, very, you know, smart boys. They were like, wow, this is cool. This is machinery. This isn't like my dad's accounting firm. You ever want to see a sweet dealer, a sweet office, the Mesa Cat Dealer, Mesa Empire headquarters? Badass. It's so badass that they have an original Caterpillar tractor in the floor of their conference room. So- Always loved equipment, but growing up had no exposure to it. My birthday party, that was a one-off deal. There was the highway construction by our house as I was driving to school. 
freaking loved it. I was drawn like a moth to a flame to anything earth moving, anything construction, anything equipment. The thing was, I never thought about it as a career because I had so little exposure to it as a career. I did not know anybody blue collar growing up. I joke that if there was a light bulb out in our house, my dad would call somebody, which is a half joke because that's kind of how it was. He went to school for a decade to go use his brain the rest of his life. That's his skill set. Since I had no blue collar exposure, it wasn't even in the cards from a career standpoint. So once I started to get a little bit older, I thought about maybe, I don't know, marine biology, because I loved aquariums and I loved fish, as everybody in the company is starting to figure out. I then, once I got into uh, high school as a freshman, I was like, why don't I just join the Navy? Because that makes perfect sense. I can go get everything paid for within school. I can go to the Naval Academy. How hard can that be? I'll just go be an officer for a few years after school and then figure out what I want to do. That was the plan. Perfect plan. However, I think when I was a sophomore, I was talking to my friend's dad about changing my freshwater aquarium to saltwater. So in eighth grade, I bought this massive aquarium off Craigslist, like 500 bucks. I'd saved up all this money doing chores, whatever the hell it was. Bought this aquarium, put it in my bedroom. It was massive and it was freshwater. And then I tried to convert it to freshwater stingrays, which were illegal in the state of Arizona. So I had a scheme to get freshwater stingrays from another state and then bring them into Arizona and not tell anybody. But my mom, uh, in fairness, said no. So the next option was, why don't I go make it into a saltwater aquarium? Problem with saltwater is it's stupid expensive. I had the aquarium, but it's really not the aquarium that costs a lot of money. It's all the other stuff that you have to add to make basically the ocean in your house, which is very complicated. So I was talking to my friend's dad about it. My friend's dad, businessman, uh, a hard money lender. I was raised around this guy my whole life. My friend Colton Siddle, this was Charlie Siddle, Mr. Siddle, explaining it to him at his house in Phoenix. And he calls me up later that day, and I don't get calls from him very often. He calls me up and says, how much money do you need for this aquarium? And I said, 200 bucks. He said, great, here's what I'll do for you. I will loan you the $200 with interest. So it was 200 plus $30 of interest, which is, what is that, 15%? It's pretty astronomical. I think it's technically an illegal amount of interest. It's past the point of which you can actually charge within the state of Arizona. I think there's that's that's called a usury law, I believe it is, the limit of interest you can charge. So he charges me 30%. I call my dad after I say, Dad, Mr. Siddle offered to loan me a few hundred dollars for my aquarium. I needed to buy some rock in my, that was, that was the purchase I needed to make. And my dad said, well, you, you recognize that that is an insane amount of interest, right? And I say, yeah, but he's going to give me the money now. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go do this. My dad was a little apprehensive. He's like, go do whatever, whatever decision you want to make, go make it. So I say, sign me up. I go back over to his house. I collect the $200, 200 cash, $200 bills. I felt like I was the fucking man. It was so cool that I could ask somebody for $200 
and they just give it to me. I don't have to worry about paying it back till later. Fantastic. So Aaron gets his mom to drive him to a nearby town and buy what is essentially $200 worth of rock. He gets his aquarium built and his loving life until the bill comes due on the $200 plus interest. Mr. Siddle proposes a unique repayment plan. The condition was that I go to Montana the coming summer and work it off at $10 an hour. I didn't think a whole lot of it because I'd been going to the same place in Montana my whole life, almost every single summer since I was six years old. And same place, working, great. We did a little work here or there, so how hard could it be? I go to Montana and I get my ass just totally kicked. It's typically 10 hour days, five days a week, you know, sun up, sun down, and just do whatever the hell you're told. So I worked for Mr. Siddle, and then across the street was Ron Wolf. He's one of the bigger landowners in the in the in the town. And between Mr. Siddle and Ron Wolf, they basically own everything. It's this small town, maybe three thousand people. And they go up there in the summers, probably spend six months of the year up there in Montana. So I would mow the lawn, which was a three-day project, two to three-day project, because both their lawns were absolutely massive. I would whack weeds for 10 hours uh, at a time. I'd cut trees down, grab the chainsaw, cut whatever trees I'm told down, throw them into a pickup, haul them up to a brush pile up the hill so they could be burned. Basically, just shut the hell up, keep your head down, go to work. And I wasn't working with anybody. I was on my own. It was uh, a very formative experience because I learned how to work and I was by myself. So I had a lot of time to reflect as a kid. And I think that's really, really valuable. So I finally started to think about my life in a more critical way after that summer. other formative part about that summer was because Mr. Siddle was a powerful man, he would have people up and to visit them every week. So there would be a different businessman or doctor, or architect, or whoever it was visiting their property because their property was gorgeous. They had multiple guest cabins. So they he'd say, you know, come on up, bring your family up, spend a week here. And then he would do business in the evenings. He would talk with them and, and work stuff out. So he used the property, which is ingenious, as a business tool, a very effective business tool. So I would, me being just a kid, listen in on the conversations. And I remember one was a, a very well-known architect. One was a retired heart surgeon. One was a, you know, massive, you know, built this enormous company and liquidated it for nine figures or whatever it was. So each, each week, each evening, there'd be somebody up there. They'd be having these conversations about business, about life, about religion, health, all kinds of different topics. And I would just shut the hell up and listen. It was awesome. It was probably the best, the best education you could get working your ass off in the day and then in the evening having access to these conversations that at that time no one has access to like podcasts weren't a thing or anything like that you you just didn't unless you were there you didn't have access to 
high-level conversation like this. So Aaron spends the rest of the summer in Montana before heading back to school for his junior year in Arizona. The summer spent in Montana started turning some gears in his mind, but the idea that became the most clear? Get back to Montana. By choice. No more debt. I said, I want to go back up and work. I want to go make a bunch of money. So I'll go back up to Montana. I do it again the next summer. Same thing. Mowing lawns, cutting trees down, whacking weeds, pretty much same shit over and over and over and over and over again. Just shut the hell up. Do what you're told. And don't fuck up because the two guys I was working with, you fuck up, you're going to know you fucked up. So I had two summers like that. Very, very formative. Then I go get a job at the fish store, the aquarium store for my last two years of high school. The last summer I spend at the fish store working nearly full time for the whole summer. I worked 25 hours a week during high school. And that was another just shit job. It was mostly, uh, I would have to clean stuff out. And so you had to do it outside and behind the fish store in the middle of summer. So it's 115 degrees. You're out there with the hose. It's just miserable. Everything's hot in there. It feels like Florida in no matter where you're at the store. Cause it's full of water. And it was an experience to say the least. Fast forward to senior year. My dad is still living in this neighborhood called Arcadia as he was building a house in Paradise Valley. So he's building a house. We always lived in Paradise Valley in Arizona, and then we moved to Arcadia. Arcadia, he rented kind of a shitty little house, but Arcadia has quickly become one of the fancier parts of town and all, you know, oh, Everybody drives a BMW or Mercedes and, oh, what kid, you know, what school do you guys go to? And, oh, you're playing tennis today. That kind of vibe. In the middle of this gorgeous neighborhood, a construction project starts up. So I go down the streets and I start to see these big concrete pipes showing up and this forklift moving these pipes around. And then all of a sudden the roads close. I'm like, what's going on over here? And then... There's a 385 excavator, a monster machine, digging a monster hole down the road to put these pipes in the ground. I'm like, holy, sh- this is crazy. I have never seen anything like this before, and I am drawn to it. So every chance I got, I would, since I had a car and I was in my senior year of high school, I would drive down to this neighborhood area, uh, not too far from where I went to school, like two blocks from where I went to school, at Arcadia High School, and I would just watch the construction. I'd watch the excavator load the trucks. I'd watch the loader zoom back and forth. I'd watch the pipe go into the ground, but all from afar, kind of, you'd have to you know, hide in the bushes a little bit. And then there was also a project that was happening by my, by my house. It was on a golf course. They were redoing the golf course. So they decided to redesign the entirety of the golf course, which is a massive earth moving project. You're basically coming in, you're demoing all of the, the sidewalk, all of the trees. And then you, you show up with, I remember it was the first time I'd seen D10 dozers. So they put D10 dozers. This is a beautiful neighborhood, big ass houses all the way around the, all the way around this golf course. And then there's D10 dozers just ripping and pushing material into piles and burying the old ponds and building a whole new golf course from scratch. And the, the, the one memory I have with that that golf course project was I the, the, I got pretty close one time where I was and you could feel the D10 going past you 
and shaking the ground. And I was just like, holy shit, this is wild. That machine weighs so much and is so powerful, it is shaking the ground beneath my feet. I didn't even know that was possible. So most of my time, other than working at the aquarium store and doing homework and working on my own aquarium at my house outside of school, was spent either watching this underground project in the Arcadia neighborhood or the Camelback golf course getting redone with monster dozers. I'm watching these projects for a while. It's fall of my senior year, and I see all of the trucks going in and out of the neighborhood and all these white, beautiful Dump trucks. They're all look gorgeous, spotless. Say Pearson Construction Corporation on the side. And the project, it was so narrow that you'd have a 385 digging, and it was nearly 30 foot deep in some sections. Digging, the trucks would pull up beside it, and it would load the trucks out. So it'd be putting all the dirt into the trucks. There was no dirt. There was no place to put any kind of material on the project. So it was loading the trucks, and the trucks would be going in and out, in and out, in and out. So I saw Pearson Construction Corporation on site, and I'm like, why don't I look them up? So Aaron does some Googling and finds a phone number for Pearson Construction, and without much of a plan, calls the number. I ask the front desk, hey, I'm a kid. I'm in high school. I'm trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life. Can I meet, meet Rich Pearson? Whatever reason, they put me through to Rich Pearson. I explain who the hell I am. He said, all right, kid, sure. Meet me at my office. So after school one day, I go down and meet him at his office. I remember exactly what the office feels like. I could, I can basically sit there today and it's like I'm, I'm looking right at him. He has construction models in his office. I just thought the whole thing was so damn cool. I go in, I talk to him. How the hell did you start a construction company? He talks about how Arizona used to be unionized and, and they went non-union and, and just all the shit he went through for decades. He'd been at it for so long and had more stories than, than I mean, he, he has all these stories. Anybody that knows an old timer in the industry, they've just got stories for days. So he's telling me about these stories and I talk to him about, hey, you know, I want to go to college. What do I know? What, do I, what should I study? He says, go to engineering. That's what I did. So I say, great. That's fantastic. And then lastly, I'm like, can I have a job? I don't know what the hell I'd do, but I want to go work in construction. And he said, well, well, we'll talk about it. Aaron also ends up asking Rich Pearson if he can go out to a job site. The job site visit is set up, but Aaron is uh, not exactly dressed the part when he gets there. So a few weeks go by, I meet him out on this project. Same project I'd been going out to. I remember I show up in shorts in you know nikes or whatever the hell i was wearing at the time and he says hey by the way just wear pants the next time because you can't wear shorts on a job site i show up but i remember standing up next to the trench box watching the 385 dig this hole and i could nearly touch the 385 because you're in this environment where everything's tight and snug and he's explaining it all to me and i'm just enamored by the guys down in the down in the hole with the trench compactor and they're dropping aggregate in they're swinging this pipe in and they're digging and then they have this rock bucket with this with the teeth on the back of the bucket 
So they'll, they'll he'd grab the other bucket and switch it out. And, and then you'd have Rich Pearson next to you explaining what the hell a quick coupler was. Like, see, you notice how he did that. And he puts the bucket back and it unpins itself. It, it, it unpins it and you can set it down, grab another bucket and he'll shake it to make sure it's safe. Like, this is fucking crazy. And then the excavator puts the bucket in the ground, starts ripping on the rock and just the, the ground's shaking and the smell of it and the, the diesel and everything was just amazing. And we go back to his pickup truck and I ask him for a job again. He said, well, how, how old are you? And I say 17. He's like, I can't even legally hire you until you're 18. So give me a call back when you turn 18. Can't get this out of my head. Turn 18 in February. I'm graduating in the very beginning of May. And in April, I reach out again. Or I think in February, I reach out again. He says, you know, reach out when it's a little bit closer. I reach out again in April. He finally says, okay, fine. I'll give you a job. You'll start as a general laborer. You'll make $13 an hour, which at that time I was making eight at the fish store. So 13, dude, hell of a raise. I get to go be work around construction equipment all day. I get to work a lot of hours. I have a job that I'm looking forward to for the summer. I'm set. Since I didn't know anybody in construction, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I go down to the local swap meet and I buy some high visibility long sleeve shirts, some you know safety yellow and then safety orange shirts. I buy some socks. I buy some jeans. Of course, you need jeans. I didn't have a pair of jeans up until that point. I go to the local Sears and I say, I need some work boots. They say, absolutely, sir. And you go down to the work boot aisle and I bought some Timberland steel toe boots because that's what I thought I needed. And I, I graduate high school. I fuck off with my friends for a few days and then go to work in construction. So I show up and you start at five in the morning in Arizona because of the heat in the summer. So you show up five in the morning. It's already hot. You're in the neighborhood that all of my friends live in, that I used to live in. My dad had moved at this point. And I remember you walk into the yard and it's as intimidating as it gets. You're this little kid, essentially. You look like you've never been on a fucking job site in your life because you haven't. You have brand new clothes on because you had to go buy clothes fit for a construction site. The cigarette smoke is hanging in the air. The, they're laughing, they're joking. Some of the guys are Hispanics or they're speaking in Spanish. And that just the first moment's like, what in the fuck did I get myself into? So that summer was just a weird adventure because I would work during the day in construction. You'd start at five, you'd end in the afternoon in the neighborhood and on the street that all of my friends were driving by. And then I'd go hang with my friends in the evening because none of them really worked or did anything because they're, they're getting ready to go to college and they just got out of high school. Like, what else do you do? You just fuck off for the summer. So I'm working full time in construction. And then I'd go hang out with my friends in the evenings. And I remember, you know, talking to my friend's moms and they'd be like, oh, what are you doing? This and that this summer. I'm like, well, I'm working construction. You know that project? Like right down the street here. Oh yeah, we yeah we've been watching that, and it's been a pain in the ass. And this, well, I actually I'm, I actually work out there, and they, you could tell we're like confused by it. I remember some conversations. It was almost like like what are you, what are you doing? 
Like, why? Are your, your parents are okay with that? What the hell? What? What's going on there? Because it was just so far, so far from anything that anybody else had done in that area. But I loved it. It was a good experience. I learned, again, to just shut the hell up, keep my head down, and do the best job I possibly could. I didn't know very much going into it, so I had to ask a lot of questions. I had to watch. I had to listen very carefully. And I was the guy, the general laborer on the pipe crew. So as we were laying pipe, you'd have two pipe layers down in the hole. You'd have your track co-operator. You'd have your loader. And I was the guy up top. I was the one putting the gaskets on the pipes. I was the one handing them the soap. I was the one getting the shovels ready, getting the rigging ready. I would just try to do my best to make everybody else's job easier because I didn't have much else to offer. So at least when they were going to ask me, I knew they were going to, after this step, ask me for a shovel. So I'm going to have the shovel already ready for them so that when they say shovel, here's the shovel. I'm not having to go look for the damn shovel. So I tried to do my best and it was, it was difficult because I'd never done anything like that before. It was pretty miserable as you're working in the summer in Arizona. It got so hot sometimes. You're, it's 115 degrees some days, 110, 112, 115. Up until 110 is manageable. Past 110, it just starts to get into a different world. It was that, that was the point in which it just, like the day was harsh past 110. But I remember it would get to, you know, it gets to 180 plus on asphalt when it's that hot. My nose would bleed sometimes because it dries your nose out and it gets so hot that you would get nosebleeds, which was just gnarly. I had to learn how to avoid heat exhaustion, keep up on hydration. So I spend this whole summer learning how to be a construction worker. Then I'm all done. In August, I go to school for civil engineering. That's part one of Building BuildWit, telling the story of BuildWit and our mission to make the dirt world a better place. Come back next week for part two as Aaron starts college, goes and works on the railroad in the desert, and finds out he knows nothing about marine construction. I'm Alex Horton. See you next time. Building BuildWit is produced by Harrison Smith and me, Alex Horton. Thank you